Okay. The sovereignty of God. I want you to turn to Isaiah 45, verse 6. We're going to read out of this verse here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 45, verse 6. It says this, and that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Love that. I'm going to read that one more time. That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, there is no other. There is no other God, Lord. There is nothing else that can deliver us. You are sovereign. Jesus, I pray this morning. I pray right now the Holy Spirit and His anointing will open our understanding. Father, even now I feel like there's a limited side to what I understand. And God, I want to pray that in a very unlimited way, in a very powerful way, the Holy Spirit would convey the truth so that we can have this divine revelation in our heart of the sovereignty of God. Lord, would you break up in this place? For those who will hear this message, God, would you help them? Father, would you break up the groundwork of bondage in their life because of the fears that have mounted up with a world that seems so astray from the sovereignty and the authority of God? Lord, we've gotten to the place where we feel like it's based on the the decisions of men rather than the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's some things that need to be undone. Lord, we need to let go of and repent of because we have not been leaning on the power and the unlimited authority of Jesus in our lives. Lord, would you open up through the revelation of your word what we need to hear today so that we can walk faithfully with you. Lord, may there be nothing inside of us that lays anything to your charge May we not have questions. And Lord, may we not have to have answers. May we just know that as long as you're seated upon the throne, we have the answer. We have the answer and that's all we need to know. Lord Jesus, I thank you for it. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm ready. Let's also turn to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to be spending most of our time pretty much in Genesis but I want you to turn to chapter 15 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. Praise the Lord. And we're going to look at verse 18 here. Did anybody turn off the ovens? I just wondered. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of, the, of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. I want you to catch a couple things in this. Notice that God didn't tell Abram or Abraham what he was doing for him, but what he was going to do for his descendants. See, the sovereignty of God goes beyond our lifetime, and we have to remember that. That God's great ultimate plan for the world, and why is this important? Because in a world 
I think one of the reasons we can say that people are so confused about their gender and who they are, whether they're male or female, is because essentially they've come to the place that it's about them. Life is about me. Life is about my happiness. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. And when you stop and halt and start thinking about that God's universal plan over the entire world, has, you're a part of it, but you're not the whole of it. You're not the center of it. So in that being said, there's a lot of things that you may be going through that you can't picture, you can't understand, until you understand that God is sovereign. We spend too much time thinking that everything that's happened to me is because somebody else did something. Somebody else hurt me. Somebody else has uh, inflicted pain into my life. Or I'm doing so well because of my, uh, my ability to succeed in the world. The sky is the limit and as long as I believe in myself, I can do whatever I need to do. And yet, in all of that kind of thinking, there's this struggle of the fact that man can plot his way, but God is the one that leads his life. And so when we really get down to it, we have to come and grip with the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, in this, in this sense, is God is sovereign over life. God is sovereign over life. There's so much about the life of Abraham. Oh my goodness. I mean, we, we, can, we can spend a lot of time thinking about what looks like Abraham's blunders of life. And yes, Abraham made his blunders. Abraham had to deal with that. But I'll tell you one thing. God still did what he wanted to do. God still got done what needed to get done. God's plan came to pass. And so here we have Abraham. God tells Abraham what he's going to do. And to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. Abraham didn't lose hope when God wasn't making his plans about him. I want you to ask yourself, how many things that you pray to God for, that it's about your happiness? When it really comes down to it, in the end of the story is about me getting relief. About me getting what I want. You've got to be very careful when you pray to God to get what you want in life. Because we changed the, the authority of Jesus as the end and made Jesus as the means. That's why God's sovereign. Because no man, no woman gets that privilege. So there's times when in your life you're going to endure pain and hardship and you're going to do it as Jesus is still your Lord and He's still a good Father. And He's still there to guide you and He's still to hold you. And He's to give you the grace for the struggles and the seasons of trial that you go through. And I love that quote that I gave, is that the sovereignty of God is the pillow you lay your head down on when you're going through a trial. You have to know, you have to know, that when I am going through something, when life gets difficult, when something that is out of my control and I would like to see change isn't happening, you have to know that God is in control. You have to sleep and rest at night knowing that your life is not all about the decisions that you made and all about how perfectly or how right your judgment calls were on situations or how your relationships have developed. If we had to live on that, all of us would feel like God had failed us. Because when it really comes down to it, all of us have some complaint about something we're going through or something we've had to deal with. I like where Jesus says, he tells us to love your enemies. 
Love your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use you and persecute you. In other words, there's room in the will of God for your enemies. And I want to preach a message sometime about the good of your enemy. About how much they can actually be there to aid you to be a Christian of the real type of the grace of God. You know, we don't have to give up on Jesus because people get sour. Because somebody treats us wrong. We don't have to give up on the ways of God because life isn't serving us on a golden platter. And Jesus even, he even tells us in His Word, God tells us that through much tribulation you shall enter the kingdom of God. That should be a springboard for those who love and cherish the sovereignty of Jesus. Abraham knew that God's plan was bigger than his lifespan. God is sovereign over life. Your plan is bigger than my lifespan. You know, when I think of my lifespan, if I stop there, Jesus, I hope that when I die, everything is fulfilled. i got to tell you something. Everything God wants to do in your life isn't finished in your lifetime. It's going to continue on with my sons. It's going to continue on with my daughter. It's going to continue on with their children as, until Jesus comes. God continues His course throughout life. And we see this in Abraham. And what a powerful revelation. God is sovereign over his life. Think of Abraham with Sarah. He did this twice. And ladies, how would you feel with your husband? She's my sister. He didn't even claim her as his wife. She's my sister. And he does this because he wants to make sure that he's not killed for his wife's sake. Because he's afraid because of their ungodliness, that something's going to happen there. And they're going to kill him for Sarah. And he does this twice. And while he's done that, I want you to see something. God delivered him. God came down and interrupted Pharaoh's life and Abimelech's life and brought fear into their life. And he gave them the revelation that you are messing around with another man's wife. And you need to be careful. What a blunder. What a foolish blunder for this man. And yet God was sovereign and said, I'm not going to break and take off the protective layer in your life because you've acted foolishly. Sovereign. Sovereign. And this idea of sovereignty isn't to take the cap off and shall we continue on sin that grace may abound. It's to show us that in the limitedness of our world, in the, the struggle of the flesh, to be able to get things right into the finiteness of humanity that there is a God who reigns and rules. God is sovereign over suffering. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 15. You're already there. Let's look at 12 through 14. God is sovereign over suffering. You know, in, this, in these passages, God says to Abraham, there at the first verses here, He says, after these things, and you got to know, after these things was there were five kings that he went to battle with. The king of Sodom and, and Gomorrah, and he couldn't defeat them and because Lot was in Sodom and these kings had taken Lot captive. Abraham goes and God gives him the victory. Limited resources, limited men, and yet God does this. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, after these things, after he got away from that, and he'd won the battle. Now it's this. 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. How many of you know in order to rely on the sovereignty of God, you need God to speak to you? You need God to say some things to you. Because the world's too messed up to know any other way. Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield. And your exceeding great reward. This is what I am to you. Don't look outside of me for your satisfaction or happiness in life. Look to me for everything. And Abraham said, and Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? By this time Ishmael had not been born. Isaac was not even in the picture as of yet. And all he has is a servant and God is revealing to him more about what he's going to do here. So in this, God tells him that basically I'm your safety, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. And then he speaks to him in verse 12 and 14. He says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also a nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. God is sovereign of suffering. So you've got to understand this 400 year gap means it meant that there would be multiple generations of Abraham that lived and died knowing nothing but slavery. They lived and died knowing nothing but slavery. And yet Abraham didn't question the moral virtue of God. There's such a big picture here. And see, we have this thing called humanism. And humanism is basically this idea that the end of all being is the happiness of man. The reason for the existence of the world, the reason for the existence of all things, is so that man may be happy. But the sovereignty of God looks at it completely differently, and it's the end of all being is the glory of God. Now you may ask yourself, how does 400 years or this gap of slavery end in the glory of God? And I will share with you what you might begin to see as this. You know, we we wonder here, but I want you to capture this, this thought is, God always ensures that sufferings or suffering comes with purpose and provides for the needs of those who suffer. Just read throughout the Bible and you will see this over and over again. But Jesus said something that this week caught my attention. I want you to capture this. Jesus said, you could do nothing. He said this to Pilate, unless my Father had granted you the power. Now, I want you to remember that the Father had granted him the power. Jesus did go to the cross. Jesus did suffer for mankind. Now, in our understanding is, if we can grasp the thought of a hero at heart, and really a hero at heart is saying, I'm willing to lay my life down to save yours. We don't see anything in in that idea of a hero of losing something in order to gain something. The heroism behind it isn't that my life is more important than yours, that there's an equality or an importance that and yours isn't necessarily more important as mine, but that a heroic mindset 
the moral purity behind it is that my life and your life are on equal terms, but I am willing to sacrifice mine to save yours. When you look at the sacrifices or the sufferings of humanity, God doesn't just let it happen for no reason at all. But that behind the suffering is something that none of us get to see until time begins to open the doors to something greater. And we will begin to see more appropriately what God was doing in the life of Abraham. But we just have to remember that regardless of, and here's this thought, is because God said this is going to happen to your descendants, you have to remember that you're not going to see the end result this side of your life. So Abraham didn't get to see the physical uh, representation or see the land that God had promised. God was not only sovereign over our life, but He's sovereign over suffering. God is sovereign of the impossible. I want you to, to read here. I want you to read here in Genesis chapter 17. So go here, just flip a couple chapters over, and I want you to capture this. Genesis chapter 17, we're going to look at 10 and 11. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, I, th I think I find that pretty interesting because God was giving Abraham, was making a multi-generational covenant with Abraham and commanding him about circumcision for his unborn children. It hasn't even happened and you're telling me what to do. For an old man and a barren woman. See, if we can look at the life of Abraham and realize something, that when God spoke to Abraham the promise that he would be a father of nations, there was an, this kept, it was an ongoing theme throughout Abraham's life. And yet Abraham had to face ongoing, the, the, the circumstances wrapped around it is, I still don't have a son. I still don't have an heir. I still don't have the promise of God in physical form. And yet Abraham had to walk through a number of years relying on the sovereignty of God, not on the physical representation of a promise. He had to know that God was going to fulfill His promise in His time. And God has the sovereign authority to make the time schedule for when that's going to happen. So when you get to that place, then we read in... Romans chapter 4, verse 17, and it says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of Him whom He believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. See, if we look at the world as it's in and we pray from the perspective of what we see, we will not be praying according to the will of God. We will not be praying things because we will be praying things down that God has a reason. He said to Jeremiah in his ministry, he said, you are going to tear down. You're going to pluck up. You're going to root up and then you're going to plant. There's a time 
when God has called us to pray for suffering. There's a time when God says, I want you to pray. You think of Elijah and it said that he prayed fervently that it would not rain by the space of three and a half years. There was a drought that came over people's lives. There was tremendous suffering. But the reason is, is because God was calling people to repentance. And there is a problem with humanity and that is, is that we do not come to trust and serve God when things are easy. When everything's going the way we want it to go, we have a tendency to run the show, to do things our way. And all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on Him the inequity of us all. So God was making that multi-generational. And I love that because that shows the sovereignty of God. I can tell you, I can give you commandments that you cannot ultimately physically obey in the moment, but you're going to. I'm going to tell you about the children you're going to have 10 years, 20 years from now. I'm going to give a dream. I'm going to set a vision in your spirit for things that I'm going to do in the future because I'm sovereign. And you're going to trust on my sovereignty and you're going to lean on that when everything in the world and around you looks like it's just the opposite. And you're going to love me and you're going to trust me in the midst of that. And I love the words it says of Abraham that he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Now we're getting to the Christian faith. Now we're getting to the Christian faith. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to believe God at what He's revealed. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here's a thought for us today as we're thinking about our children. And we're thinking about maybe, how do I treat this in my family? Because some of us, how many of you you feel like, how many of you have wayward children? You have children that are not where God wants them to be. And then you're looking at, sometimes we're in those situations, even as in their young life, we wonder what life is going to look like in the future to come. Well, here's a few things to think about when we think about Abraham. And God was not doing things according to Abraham's desires and dreams for his kids. Isn't that powerful to think about? God wasn't doing this. And here's your verse here for it. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 17, verse 18 through 19. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. God said no. That didn't mean that God wasn't going to do something in Ishmael's life, but Ishmael was not going to be the one whose God was going to continue to elevate his covenant through. There's times when we were, Lord, and, and Abraham was like, Lord, would, would you just let Ishmael be? And God said no. See, when we get a picture of God's sovereignty, God tells us no sometimes for our children in the things we dream for them, the things we would want God to do in their life. But in the grand scope of things, God's doing something greater than what your plan is involved in. As I think about the story of Hannah as she prayed, and it said she wept before the Lord with bitterness. And she wept with this kind of bitterness was because she wanted a son and she was barren and it wasn't happening. And if you read a little bit further in the, in the Scripture, what it says is that God 
kept her barren for a season. See, the plan of barrenness was that there's something greater that God was achieving. And so there was something that was happening in Hannah's heart and in her life. And so she was leaning more, needing to lean on the sovereignty of God. And the tears and the desire to have a son had to go deeper than just having a boy. But the, the, it had to come to the place where she was willing to lend him to the Lord. Because this son was going to be the minister to Israel. So this wasn't just God saying, hey, I don't see the desire of your heart. God says, I have a greater desire than yours. And you wouldn't, if I just give you a son now, you won't lend him to me. You won't give him to me. You will you'll preserve him for your own purposes and designs. But in my plan, I have a greater plan for your son. And interesting that Peninnah had children. And you just read the stories throughout the Bible, and it's interesting how God regulated the ability of women to have babies and some did not. And the times of barrenness and the times when there weren't. And the ones who were having children were the ones, they're not the seed of promise, as it were. I think that's a huge reflection on God is in control. We tried to do so many. I've seen some where they tried to have birth control and they couldn't make it happen. And all the ones and the ones that tried, tried to every, every ounce of their life put heart and emphasis into having children and couldn't. And all of those things happening. We've got to stop putting emphasis on the ability of man. And that would change the prayer level of the church. It would change the prayer level of the church. The false teaching that God is not in control. I want you to hear something. There's a teaching out here. And I don't know if you've heard of it or not. But it it says this. God is not in control. God is in charge. He put the control in your hands. And he just is in charge. And the the doctrine behind it is called dominionism. It comes out of Genesis. And basically they say God has given us dominion over the earth. And so this idea of dominion is, is that you have the authority. Well, Jesus did tell us that we had an authority. But he didn't do it in this kind of a way. And I want to, with all my heart, I want to just open up this thought. is Because there is nothing about Jesus telling, giving us control. God didn't give you control when He gave you authority. You are under authority and you speak with that authority in Jesus' name. Jesus never told us that we were going to do a miracle in our own name. He never said we were going to do it in our own power. He said He would do it. We would do it in His power and we would do it in His name. And Jesus even told us that anything that you ask in My name will I grant to you. And he said that your joy may be full. And this concept has gotten into Christianity that now is the idea that if I desire it and I want it, I have the authority as if I'm God to make it happen. But there, I need you to say, Jesus in Luke chapter 10, 19, he didn't, when Jesus gave them power and authority over demons, it wasn't on their own outside of submission to God, it was within the submission to Jesus. You remember that Peter, when he was there at the temple and the man was raised up, that Peter said, it's not by my power or holiness this man stands before you here whole, but because of his faith in Jesus. I remember we had a man who was telling us, we don't believe in faith healing, we believe in divine healing. And I thought that was a powerful differential here is because 
We've gotten to the place that we neglect to listen to God and we decide that I'm going to make it happen and Jesus is going to serve my plans. Jesus is going to do what I want Him to do. And I found Scripture in verse to persuade God to do so. And Jesus said, They that are the sons of God, they are led by the Spirit of God. They are in submission to God. They are revealed the will of God to them. We live in relationship to God so that when we say things, when I give a command in the name of Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit was authorizing it. He was authorizing it. And if we don't get careful, we're going to fall into this dominionism idea that Jesus is serving my plans rather than I'm still serving God. The biblical precedence is that we are granted only the authority of command as He reveals His will. Our authority only comes in submission to God said. And in this situation, God said no. Abraham wasn't going to pray it into existence. Abraham wasn't going to make sure that God changed his will and work things out differently for Ishmael under these circumstances. So when it comes to the sovereignty of God, it means that I have to learn to say yes to something I don't understand. I don't understand, Lord, but I have to say yes to it until the Holy Spirit reveals otherwise. God's plan was bigger. And I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3.16 because this is where this all comes together. Because we're like, okay, so God allows certain suffering. God is the one in control of impossibilities and miracles. So what's going on? How do we put this all together? Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Galatians chapter 3, 16. Shout an amen if you get there. I just heard you saying amen. I didn't hear any shouts. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. What is God developing? He's developing in the time of Abraham, a timeless reality of Jesus Christ. And within that, there will be suffering, there will be slavery, there will be redemption, there will be deliverance, there will be everything you can imagine, but God is sovereignly working His hands and His power to make sure that this event happens and nothing you did and nothing our descendants or anybody else before us could have stopped Jesus Christ at coming and making His way into the world. That's why Jesus could boldly and powerfully say something that I think we can say in a sense ourselves. You're, you could do nothing to me except for my Father had granted you the power. You can't take me to the cross. You can't crucify me. You can't end my life early. You can't end what I need to do in life because... The Father is the one in charge. Now I think some people are like, I don't know if I can surrender to that because I feel like that gives all kinds of liberty 
to do whatever you want and get away with it. Let us just go on and sin that grace may abound. And there's where the sovereignty of God is still at work, but in a very different way. So the outcome of the Abrahamic parenting was not based on biblical formulas and inheritance to them, but on divine prophecy and complete faith in it. You know, like Abraham, it says God spoke to Abraham. And this I love this part in, in Genesis. Just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham got a visitation from an angel. And the angel was there to show some things to him. But then at that end, God, God revealed to Abraham. And it says this in the Word of God. It says, how can I hide from Abraham the thing that I am going to do? Wow. That's like, I'm not going to keep him from what's about to happen. And why? Because Abraham is going to be the intercessor in the middle of God's sovereign plan. See, Abraham isn't going to stop what's happening to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham is going to pray, and in that prayer is the deliverance of Lot, his wife, and his family. And it's interesting to think that there's a city that's going to be massacred and completely destroyed, and yet when it's all said and done, it wasn't done without an intercessor. It wasn't done without a burden on a man's heart. And it reveals something to us. The intercession is not necessarily to stop a judgment that's going to happen from happening. It's to say that there is a means for which people may be able to see that God is gracious despite the judgment that they're coming into. You see in uh, Noah's life that Noah said that he was righteous and that he preached for over a hundred years. And talk about... A very, I mean, if you're looking at the success of ministry, it didn't look very successful at all. And eight souls came in and were saved after he, pray, after he brought them in. And Noah was righteous. And God still brought a judgment. But can you imagine a hundred years of watching an ark being built right in front of you? Hearing somebody preaching about a judgment to come and hardening your heart all the way through. And God showing His mighty mercy and His power to preserve mankind even at the judgment over mankind. So there's so much for us to begin to grasp in this that sometimes I say, Lord, I don't know. I'm praying for something. I'm praying for a person. And it seems like the more I pray for them, the further from the kingdom of God they get. And God leaves room for chastening. Paul, he talks about he says, I give them over to Satan that their soul may be saved. We couldn't quit inviting them to church. Because they hardened their heart at the call of Jesus to surrender their lives. And we just let them go off. And we don't want them to. Just hear me on that. The love of God. I don't want you to be lost. But I understand something. There is no way for me to make you come. I can't even lead the horse to water, it seems like, half the time. I can't even get you to the water brook to drink, much less make you drink anyway. I've preached messages as I thought, if they just heard the Word of God, what He's trying to say to them, it would be a different elevation of truth, but they harden their hearts. 
At times in my own life, I've seen it as well. So God is in control. This is not permission to be passive, but a rebuke for living in constant fear and unbelief. This is not a license to go run around, do whatever you evil want to. It is a revelation that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make the world work in the way that I want to see it work. But I can trust that God has His way. See, when you start praying and you really feel very strongly, and I do, I feel very strongly, oh Lord, You're the one in control. Man, if I have to pray, oh Jesus, I pray that this the day might come when they'll want to serve You. (laughs) Jesus, I just pray the day that the blindness and the deception will get off of their eyes and they will give of their hearts to You. Without the Holy Spirit working in a very sovereign way, in a very powerful way, there's no way that prayer is ever going to come to pass. But if I begin to pray and I say, Lord, I see the hardness of their heart and the blindness of their ways, and yet I know that You're sovereign enough to get into their life. If there's something else that needs to happen, then God, just help me know how to pray for them. And you know, isn't it powerful how the Holy Spirit will give you a burden for somebody? He doesn't give that same burden for everybody, but you got that burden for somebody. And why do you have that? Is because God in heaven already knows what He wants to do in their life. And a part of His sovereign plan is to work your prayer into it. And you're praying the will of God. And you're going to see the will of God, not just because you prayed, because God had it as a plan already from the beginning, and He found a way to get you interested in praying. He found a way to get you interested in praying. And it's awesome because the Holy Spirit made you feel like you were a part of the work of God in this. Isn't it interesting? Like sometimes we're like, I don't know how it is, but today I wasn't planning on being instrumental or providential in somebody's life, but I just happened to be today. <laughs> I know. I, hey, I got something I can tell you about, right? And we wait. See, waiting is as essential as it is receiving. Because you have to rely on the sovereignty of God. As a good father to my children, I do not just give to my kids whenever they ask. But that doesn't mean I'm not planning on giving it to them. I'm just not giving it to them yet. There's a time and there's a better time for them to receive. Sometimes I'm developing something in their life before I give it to them. But in every way, we begin to recognize God. I want to see a soul saved. I want to see a community running for Jesus. I want to see a church that's loving you like never before. I want to be a pastor who's better at living for Jesus in the future and today than I've ever had. Lord, I would love the next thing that you're going to do in my life. Oh, Jesus, I want the next thing. Just take me to the next moment of glory. And God has you just on your knees, just waiting. Just waiting. Isn't it wonderful? that we trust Him enough that while we're waiting. And God had 120 in an upper room waiting for the promise to come down. God will fulfill His promises, but He won't fill your ambitions. Just because you want it don't mean you get it. But when you get God, and you listen to the Lord, just listen. Lord, what do you want? What do you want? And help me find the promises in your Word that fits what you reveal to me that you want. Then you can pray, 
And you can know that God will grant it to you because it's His will. Amen? Well, I want to encourage you this morning because I know that some of you have some areas of your life that you need to give up to God. You've got some fears that you've been holding on to. Fears for your kids. Fears for things that aren't coming. You're worried that they're not going to happen for you. And you're, you're holding on to anxiety and you're not holding on to the Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a minute to come up to the altar and spend some time before the Lord and give your heart to Him. We're Christians and we believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean we're fully mature. It doesn't mean we're all there. But I want you to quit carrying pain and worry and fear as if God was not in control. Empty that before Him at the altar this morning and let Him have His way. And if there's something that the Lord has been urging on your heart that you just haven't given over to Him or something you know or someone that the Lord has on your heart right now, Take this time this morning before we go downstairs and enjoy a time of fellowship and potluck together. Take this time to renew your spirit before God and let the Lord have a new point of control in your heart.